and pray for Pastor Kokfai. Then after that, I'll round up the prayer. Let us pray together. Lord, we thank you. What a joy. What a privilege to enter into your house together with your people to worship you, to listen to your word, and to fellowship with each other. Lord, today as we look into your word about the story of Purim in the, in the book of Esther, I pray that God, you will speak to us. Keep us awake, Father. Awake physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually to receive your word. I pray for your anointing upon Pastor Kokfai. Strengthen him. I pray that you empower him so that your word will come out alive and, and fresh into our hearts. We thank you. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. The prayer to stay awake is very, very important. Uh, today, after the first service, um, somebody who carried his child here, about four months old, said, my child never slept so peacefully but in your sermon. <laughs> okay, but first of all, let me show you what happened last Tuesday, the 3rd of March, just last week, last Tuesday, when the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, was invited to the US and he spoke before the House of Congress. Let's play that. We're an ancient people. In uh, our nearly 4,000 years of history, many have tried repeatedly to destroy the Jewish people. Tomorrow night, on the Jewish holiday of Purim, we'll read the book of Esther. We'll read of a powerful Persian viceroy named Aman, who plotted to destroy the Jewish people some 2,500 years ago. But a courageous Jewish woman, Queen Esther, exposed the plot and gained for the Jewish people the right to defend themselves against their enemies. The plot was foiled our people were saved. Today, the Jewish people face another attempt by yet another Persian potentate to destroy us. You need to watch this. It's highly ritualistic. You know, so many times clap, they stand up, they sit down, they clap. But anyway, um, today we consider the book of Esther, and the purpose of the book of Esther is to tell a story, is to tell the story behind this Jewish festival called Purim, which is on the 14th day of the 12th month of the Jewish calendar. And like uh, the PM here said, it started, the Jewish day starts in the evening. From last Wednesday evening to Thursday evening was the day of Purim, and they celebrate it um, but nowadays, the, the festival of Purim is, is become just an excuse to get drunk. But traditionally, what they do uh, at Purim is they read, as the Prime Minister said, they read the book of Esther to remind the Jewish nation of what happened some 2,500 years ago. And then they give gifts of food to one another, and they give it especially to the poor. And then they eat this thing or this food item called Haman Tashen, after the man called Haman, who tried to destroy Israel. Two weeks ago, I saw this on, on, on Facebook. Uh, one of my friends who used to be a member here, then she got married, 
and uh, she moved to another church. Her name is Joyce, uh, married to Dr. Jeffrey Lowe. She was making hamantashen, this uh, food item with, with her kids. Uh, it's actually uh, pastry, and then there's come, some fruit preserves, a kind of jam in the middle. So it's sweet, and it's triangular. And it's supposed to be kind of like the triangular hat that Haman would have worn in those Persian days. Um, so, unfortunately, here you're in second service. I hope you came for refreshments. Uh, today we had, uh, we had this. We had samosa. <laughs> yeah. Next year, okay, next year, if some of you can just gather together and look up, Google the, the recipe for Haman Tashen, it's sweet, and then perhaps we can do a proper Purim uh, next year. What's the history? What's the historical timeline of this? You will know that uh, the Israel uh, nation was first like conquered by the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians uh, uh, took over, and then the Persian Empire came in. And when the Persian Empire came in, around about 538 BC, King Cyrus allowed the Jews to return home, to go back to the land of Israel. And, uh, and so if you read in Ezra chapter 2, verse 3, uh, this guy called Zerubbabel actually led and they counted, they counted 42,000 360 Jews from Persia back to the land of Israel. And then around about 530 BC would be the time of uh, Daniel. If you read the book of Daniel, Daniel from, who was kind of like president scholar and got exiled uh, to the kingdom of Persia and he rose there, became like prime minister. And then King Xerxes, these are all historical records, uh, ruled from 486 BC to 465 BC, when he was finally assassinated by the commander of his royal guards. And in between that time, in King Xerxes' rule, was the time of Esther, 483 BC to 471 BC. Let me now introduce the characters in this story to you. There are six characters in this story. The first one, of course, is the king, King Xerxes, emperor of all Persia, a great empire of that day. The Bible tells us there were 127 provinces stretching from India to Egypt. And the story takes place in this place called Susa, uh, his winter capital in modern-day Iran, uh, Persia. And uh, the modern-day name for this city is Shush, S-H-U-S-H, uh, on the sort of extreme western side of uh, modern-day Iran. So we have a king, we have a pair of queens, first Queen Vashti, and then her successor, Queen Esther. And then we have Mordecai. Mordecai was Esther's cousin, uh, who became her adoptive father. And then we have the evil man, Haman. And you know that uh, whenever his name is read, uh, the Jews will play a gregor, uh, as I found out, to drown out his name. Uh, you know those things that go, okay, I couldn't find one out of my niece's uh, toys, uh, otherwise I would have brought it here. But um, if you don't have a Gregor, then you would shout, loser, whenever the name Haman is mentioned. But don't do that, okay? Don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't disturb my sermon, okay? <laughs> okay, so now let's begin with the story. Okay, Once upon a time, there was a king called Xerxes and I have proven that you are not awake. How many characters did I say there were in the story of Esther? So six, okay? One king, two queens, Haman, Mordecai, only five. So who's the sixth character? 
The sixth character is not mentioned in the book, and he is God. Okay? The only other book in, um, in the Bible where the name of God was not specifically mentioned is, uh, is Esther, as well as the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Okay? But you can see quite clearly he is there. So, let's start again. Once upon a time, there was a king called Xerxes. He ruled over the great Persian Empire. In the third year of his reign, he decided to throw the mother of all banquets okay, in Susa, his winter capital. And he was going to party for 180 days. No expenses were spared for his nobles, his officials, his princes, his military leaders, and even down to the rank and file. The ordinary citizens also uh, we're going to join this party. And history tells us that King Xerxes is a very interesting character. You can find out a lot about him. King Xerxes was obsessed with conquering Greece. So the Persia, Greek battles. And so I speculate that this could be one of those grand dinner parties to find investors, to fund his Greek campaign. Then at the same time, his queen Vashti was having her own hands party. Now, on the seventh day of these 180 days, King Xerxes in high spirits sent seven eunuchs to bring Queen Vashti to join his party. He wanted to show off her beauty to all his mates. So you can imagine the seven eunuchs going, running to the, the, the woman's quarters and then running back and say, Queen Vashti, she is presently in this post. And then another eunuch will say, she is temporarily Occupied. And here King Xerxes will say, Stop giving me all this court language. Tell me in simple language. I lie, my lie. Okay, for those of you who don't understand uh, Hokkien, he said, Are you coming or are you not coming? And the seven eunuchs will sort of like look at one another, and then they will look down on their own navel, and they, they thought, I have nothing more to lose, if you get that. And then he'll say, My lie, my lie. And then Xerxes will be furious and he will burn with anger. And I think he burned more with anger, uh, not, not just with anger, but, but more with embarrassment that in front of his mates, his queen will say, my lie, not coming. And, and then his friends will say, loser, not for Haman, but for King Xerxes. And he lose face, he lost his temple, so he called out to his advisors and his, he quoted scripture. Esther chapter 1, verse 15. He tells his advisors, according to law, what must be done to Queen Vashti? And so the advisors uh, sort of crowd around and mumble to one another. And then the advisors came up to him and said, you need to take initiative. You've got to act first. You've got to be strong. You depose her, you divorce her before this dastardly act of disrespect degenerates into defiance. Get the D's? <laughs> Otherwise, we men will have no place to stand. Okay, let me get back to the Word of God. Esther chapter 1, verse 18. They say, Otherwise, these women will despise their husbands and there will be no end of disrespect and discord. So when I play around with these, it's just not, not just me, okay? The Bible says despise, disrespect, discord. And so Xerxes' ego was really hurt. And he was angry. And this is an aside, a lesson for women here. There's something about man's ego you need to know, okay? It's very fragile. It's very weak, okay? You just try and tell your boyfriend or your husband that his parking is lousy. You know what I mean, okay? And now the queen refused to come. So then, 
listening to the advice of his advisors, word went out to all Persia that Queen Vashti was history. So now let's move on to chapter 2 of Esther. When his anger subsided a little bit, the king thought of his deposed queen. Some say that this was, this was around the time of his defeat by the Greeks. Historical records tell us, tells us that the Persian navy was defeated by the Greeks in 480 BC in this place called Salamis. And then a year later, the Persian army also was defeated by the Greeks. And so, with his royal tail between his royal legs, King Xerxes found that carnal relationships with uh, his harem gave him no comfort. He needed a queen for communion, for companionship, for comfort. And the Bible records, if you just calculate, that it's been four years since he lost his queen Vashti. Four years. So here comes his advisors again. And they say, let's find this foggy, uh, a proper wife and a proper uh, queen. And then he, he's going to stop making life difficult for all of us. Let's do a Miss Persia pageant. And let's add extreme makeover uh, to it as well. And so they search the kingdom far and wide for a beautiful queen. Now we come to chapter 2, verse 7. The entry of the character of Esther and Mordecai. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, also called Esther, whom he had brought up because she had neither father or mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So, you imagine yourself as Esther, okay? So now I'm speaking as Esther, okay? Esther. She must be thinking, you know, life is so unfair to me. If there were a God, I'd like to know if He was ever interested in me. Why? Why am I an orphan? And a Jew, a Jewish on top of that. And I'm in exile. I mean, King Daniel, Daniel had it good. He was president scholar material. He, um, he had the best in everything, specially treated, ended up like the prime minister, most powerful guy after the king. But me, me, I'm a girl. I'm an orphan. I'm nobody. I'm just the adopted child of my cousin, Mordecai. You know what Mordecai means? Mordecai means little man. Little man. Which tribe did Mordecai belong to? Benjamin, the littlest tribe. So I'm the daughter or the cousin of the little man in the littlest tribe. All I want is, I'm a passing girl. I just get married to a good man, maybe Daniel, if I can dare to hope so high, have a few babies and then live happily ever after. But Esther chapter 2, verse 8, Esther was taken to the king's palace and put under the care of Haggai, who had charge of the harem. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to join this Miss Persia pageant. I cried for days. This pageant stuff, you won't believe how bitchy these girls are. You know, they are like so dumb, especially the blonde ones. And they all want the same thing. You know what they want? You know what they want? Okay, let's uh, do the video and uh, let me show you what they want. I would have to say... World peace. Definitely world peace. That's easy. World peace. World peace. What is the one most important thing our society needs? 
That would be harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. Uh, yes, world peace. Okay, we come back to uh, back to the PowerPoint. We come back to this guy, he guy. Can you imagine the eunuch named he guy? But at least he was a nice guy, nice to Esther. Under his mentoring, I won the pageant and I won a king. And my cousin, the little man from the little stripe, perhaps he was so little and so short that nobody noticed him. And he overheard two men plotting to assassinate my husband, King Xerxes. So the little man overheard the little plot. He told me about it. And then I told Xerxes and they hanged the two guys. Gruesome stuff. But at least I'm not a widow. And so maybe life is not so bad after all as queen. And at this point, I think uh, people will say that I live happily ever after. Everybody loves me. There's no reason not to love me. I'm queen. Because on account of me, all Persia got one more public holiday. Esther chapter 2, verse 18. And gifts were distributed with royal liberality. And I can tell you that Persian royal liberality is not the same as Singapore pre-election goodies. And so everybody loves Esther. She lived happily ever after a Miss Persia who succeeded to some extent at world peace. So you like the story? Let's move on, okay? Move on to the second part of Esther's story, which you can read uh, from Esther chapter 6, verse 7. And now enters Haman. Okay, I, I pronounce it after Benjamin Netanyahu. Before I watched that video, I thought it was Haman like the Americans. So Haman comes in. He's the equivalent of prime minister in the Persian Empire. And he gets everybody to bow to him. And everybody bows to him, except one Jew. This Jew was Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't bow to him. And instead of wanting to just kill one Jew, he wanted to kill Jews. He wanted to wipe them out from the face of the earth. He wanted genocide. And so they cast lots they cast lots, uh, which is called cast pur, P-U-R, hence the name Purim, Purim, the festival of Purim. So they cast lots, and it was fixed on the, the, the 13th day of the 12th month of the Jewish calendar. And they cast lots on the first month. So there was an 11-month notice of death sentence for all Jews. And Haman went to the king, and he offered the king 254 million U.S. dollars, to do a holocaust. That was the price he was willing to pay to do a holocaust. And so King Xerxes agreed and issued this irrevocable decree to all Persia that Jews will be killed on the 13th day of the 12th month, 11 months hence. How did I get $254 million? The Bible says 10,000 talents of silver was what was offered. One talent is 96 pounds. The price of silver last Wednesday was $16.54 US. So you work it out, $254 million, a tidy sum. So after all this, Mordecai comes to Queen Esther asking for help. And Esther say, wow, dangerous. And so came this classic verse in Esther chapter 4, verse 13. Mordecai told Esther, do not think 
that because you are in a king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. I think some famous verse, at least for such a time as this, uh, many Christians will know. And Esther's answer to her daddy cousin is another classic verse in Scripture that many people will know in the following verse, verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my mates will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. If I perish, I perish. And so after three days of fasting and prayer was hatched, what I would call mission impossible. And as Esther, I'm going to put on my best clothing, my sexiest clothes, my royal robes. I'm going to walk my sexiest walk before the king. And he will be sure to notice me. And even though if I approach him without royal permission, uh, uh, my head will be chopped off. I think this time around, I will get, get around it. And then he will ask me to come in. When I come in to him, I will invite my king, my husband Xerxes, and Haman for dinner. And then I will fatten them for the kill. Maybe I'll name a special dish after Haman. He would like that. And, and I make them fat. I make them drunk. And then he lost a queen in the banquet once. Maybe this time I can make him lose a prime minister in the banquet. And my spies have already told me about the king's habit. That when he is full of food and wine, he cannot sleep. And when he cannot sleep, he will read the royal journals. Those boring journals. And then I will arrange for that special part in the royal journals where Mordecai, my cousin daddy, uh, saved the king from an assassination attempt. And that will be the part that will be read to him. Meanwhile, after dinner, Haman's mouth air will be big. Right? Mouth air will be big. And he will, he's going to boast to his wife about his riches, that he was invited to a royal party, and he's going to be boasting about his ten sons. Now, can you imagine boasting in front of your wife about your ten sons? Okay, who did all the hard work? And I think his wife is going to get so tired of his boasting that she will suggest, hey, don't talk, lah. do something. Okay, go and build a gallows for this hated guy, Mordecai, who doesn't bow to you. And then I will throw a second banquet and this will be my coup de grace. I will use the oldest and the most effective weapon a woman has. I will cry. And I will say that Haman is going to kill me and he's going to kill all the Jews. And knowing King Xerxes, my husband, he won't know what to do. And he will just storm out of the banquet for three minutes. A woman knows these things. And then I will arrange for Haman to trip on some royal skateboard. And I will lay on my couch in my most seductive pose. He will trip, he will fall on me, and it will look like he's molesting me. Three minutes, the king walks in. He sees this, Haman should die. So, so King Xerxes is going to lose his cool like he lost his Vashti 
like he lost a war with Greece and now he will lose a prime minister. And when he loses his coup that way, I will get my trusted eunuch to make a very helpful suggestion that the very 75 feet gallows that was built by Haman last night be used for Haman himself instead of Mordecai. And then he will promote Mordecai to be prime minister. And then Mordecai will send decrees out to all the kingdom that the Jews can defend themselves against genocide. And then we will all live happily ever after. Don't you just love it when Mission Impossible come together? Oh, thank you, thank you. You know, when all these coincidences coincide, was that really how it went? You know, someone once said that coincidences, coincidences are when God prefers to be anonymous. I don't think Esther was very smart at all, I'm sorry to say. Okay, I think, in fact, that she was illiterate, she was uneducated, and she was really quite uninformed. Why do I say that? Because she didn't even know about the edict that Haman has sent out in the king's name to massacre all the Jews. She just heard that Mordecai was sad and that Mordecai was dressed in sackcloth. And she sent a eunuch out to Mordecai to ask him, What's up, Dad? And Mordecai gave the eunuch a copy of the edict and asked the eunuch to explain the edict to her. That was what happened. You read Esther chapter 4, verse 8. And now King Xerxes. King Xerxes, he's got this reputation for being a bit crazy. You know, there was this mega project that he was doing where he wanted to build a bridge across this place called the Hellespont uh, in an attempt to conquer Greece. So they did this pontoon bridge where you put all the boats and then you put planks across the boat uh, and then the soldiers will, will march across. Kind of like a crooked bridge across the streets of Johor kind of thing. Well, a storm came and destroyed the bridge. And so he sentenced the sea to punishment, to san pai taban. Okay, he wanted to beat the sea 300 times, you know, like the old days of the Chinese uh, emperor. So they, the soldiers whacked the sea 300 times to punish the sea. And then he had the builders of this bridge all beheaded. Crazy fellow. Well, King Xerxes might be a little bit crazy, but I don't think he was stupid. I don't think so. He ruled for 21 years. Okay, 21 years is not a, not a, a, a small deal. He probably, uh, well, he definitely escaped one assassination attempt when Mordecai heard about it. There are all kinds of court intrigues of those days, but he did eventually die at, uh, at the hands of the commander of his royal guards assassinated. But I think, I suspect that Xerxes knew that Esther was a Jew. I mean, you're king, right? You would have done background checks on the person that you're going to marry and promote to be, to be queen. And even if he didn't, by the time that Esther joined Mordecai and all the Jews for a three-day fast, he must have known. And even if he doesn't know, when Esther appeared in court at the risk of death to talk about the Jews being killed, he must have known. And so this crazy guy, one day he allows Haman to kill the Jews, and then another day, now he allows the Jews not just to defend themselves, but to kill their enemies. And so this is the very abridged and, uh, story of Purim, the story of Esther. What is the key verse in Esther? 
Let me show it to you. Look carefully there. You can see the key verse in Esther is here. It's kind of like whether this dress in white or brown or black and purple, right? The key verse in Esther is a blank. It's between the last verse of chapter 4 and the first verse of chapter 5. It is the blank between chapter 4 and chapter 5. It is the three-day fast, I think. And how can anybody say that there is no God in Esther? Because he was in the background. I mean, like, fasting without prayer is, is just dieting. I don't think Queen Esther needed to diet. So, did Queen Esther try to do this mission impossible thing, you know, to, to plan uh, in that three days, she planned this thing down to the last detail about the tripping and, and all those things. She may have tried, but I don't think so. I think in those three days, she must have poured her heart out before God. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? She must have thought that, should I, God, should I try the direct approach? Just walk up to, to, to my hubby and, and, and have a private meeting with him and, and just tell him about, hey, your prime minister, very bad, you know, going to kill me in 11 months' time. Should I do that? Or as she was praying and fasting, maybe, maybe she was so hungry, she just thought about food. The word from the Lord is food. Food. And feed him. Feed him. Feed your enemy, Haman. Maybe that was the impression in her mind. Maybe the impression was, God told her, I know you're queen. But this guy, Haman, is prime minister. And to him, you should be a civil servant. You should be civil to him and you should serve him food. Maybe that was what she got. And I'm sure Esther, if she got that thought, she would have struggled. Come on, come on, God. This cannot be from you. Until maybe, maybe, maybe she read Proverbs 20, uh, chapter 25. Verse 21 and 22, which says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Maybe she read this verse. But what happened in that three days changed the course of history. What happened in that three days is what people call waiting upon the Lord. Right? You fast and you pray and you wait upon the Lord. And there are many verses in the Bible that, that has wait upon the Lord or wait on God. All over the Psalms, especially in Isaiah. So I want to take a look at one famous verse in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. weary. They shall walk and not faint. When you have unpleasant situations, unpalatable characters, uncharted waters to navigate, unexpected tragedies, what do you do? You wait upon the Lord. But wait, the word wait is not in action. It is not passivity. In, if anything, it is way more than a verb, and an action word. The Hebrew word for wait is kava. It is also translated as Gather. You'll find this word in Genesis, way back, Genesis chapter 1, verse 9, and God 
gathered the water under the sky to form the sea. That same word, and God kavah the water under the sky to form the sea. The second translation of this word kavah is hope. And you'll find that in Psalm 69, verse 6, as well as Jeremiah 14, 22. May those who kavah in you, may those who wait upon you, hope in you and not be disgraced because of me. Jeremiah 14, 22. Therefore, our kavah is in you. Therefore, our waiting upon the Lord is in you. Therefore, our hope is in you. For you are the one who does all this. So it's gather, it's hope, and then it is translated also as trust. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9, this is the Lord. We kavah in Him. We wait upon Him. We trust in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. So Esther waited for three days, waited upon the Lord for three days in fasting and prayer. She gathered her thoughts she brought it before the Lord and she was able to gather up hope and trust in Him. And so as it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, she gathered new strength from divine resources. She renewed her strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall gather new strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And it does take a lot of strength for her to go before the king, to, to have this attitude that if I perish, I perish. And Esther might have felt like exhausted after those three days coming to that point, but that three days of fasting did not, may have exhausted her in some sense, but it did not weaken her. In fact, it gave her new strength, new strength for the next step, which was to appear before the king uninvited at the risk of death. And the strength also to cook dinner. I mean, it's like, where got mood to cook, right? I think for those who, who like to cook, the, the, you need some mood to cook. So, no, no mood to cook, but God gave her new strength to cook not once, but to cook twice. And on top of that, to serve the enemy, to be civil to him, to serve him. When you know that this death sentence will be carried out in 11 months' time. But she waited upon the Lord and she renewed her strength. She gathered strength. Secondly, when you wait upon the Lord, you get a new perspective. You mount up on wings as eagles. So you get an eagle's eye view of your situation. What happens when you fly high? Right? You look down, oh, all those like ants. Human beings are like ants. And surely there is a new perspective that is a God above. You know, when the three astronauts in Apollo 8 flew in December 1968 from the earth and then they looked back upon the globe of the earth, what did they say? They broadcasted in the beginning. It's like, wow, man is so small. You look at the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They got a new perspective of earth and they got a new perspective of earthly things. And seriously, I don't think any form of human wisdom would have told Esther to invite Haman to dinner. I mean, you should just have a quiet dinner with your husband and then tell him. Ask him to right the wrong. But I think in her time of waiting upon the Lord, in fasting and prayer, she got this new perspective. Invite Haman. Invite your enemy. Feed him. 
give him drink, serve him, be civil to him. So she gathered new strength, she got a new perspective, and then she gained perseverance. When Isaiah 40, 31 says, renew your strength, upon wings as eagle, walk and not faint. Keep on walking, keep on walking. You know, at the first banquet, what happened? At the end of the first banquet, all is lost. Finish. Mighty, mighty failure. Why? Esther didn't do anything. Didn't get anything. Didn't complain to the king. Did not even raise the subject. Instead, the night ended so badly. Haman was able to go home and boast about everything. And then to start building a 75 feet gallows, a huge one. Husband King Xerxes had insomnia, possibly because of the food that Esther served. Nothing. Nothing. Failure. But she gained perseverance and she said, Nehemiah, try again. Right? A second banquet. And she found the strength to go at it again. Persevered. Another banquet and all the coincidences happened in this second dinner. These coincidences, God incidences, uh, God incidents happened. And so I really think that the secret to Esther is found in a blank space between the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5. That three days of waiting upon the Lord in fasting and prayer. You might be facing some unpleasant situations, some unpalatable characters in your life, some unexpected tragedies that might have happened. It's not even your fault, but you've got to navigate some uncharted waters. Or maybe not. Maybe for you, this last week, this month, this year is a great year for you. You scored all the A's you want in uh, A-levels. And life is going to be great. Scholarship is coming. Daddy is going to pay for you to go to a famous university. Maybe. But maybe not. Because I can tell you something will come. And I can tell you in Jesus' words, in this world, you will have troubles. Okay, so this, is a, this year is going to be a great year. But in this world, you will have troubles. So let's prepare for the troubles. Let's prepare like King Esther, uh, Queen Esther, to know how to wait upon the Lord in order to get new strength, to gain a new perspective, and to get perseverance. Okay, so this, I think, is the lesson of Esther. Let me, let me now invite the musicians to come and help us with the closing song. Wait upon the Lord. Don't give up. There is a character behind all this. Sometimes the Lord, for some reason, prefers to remain anonymous. You just cannot see. And He prefers just to work behind the scene. But when you get this new perspective, maybe sometimes years later, you say, ah, so this was what really happened. There is a God after all, and He's on my side. Stand as we sing this song together. Need you. 
my help comes my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth and he is on our side he is on your side and so we wait upon the Lord we 
together we gain we can as we surrender our wills to him perhaps the lord is calling you as he had called esther to serve the enemy the most unpleasant of things but as we obey the inner prompting of the holy spirit god makes all things work out well so let's cry upon the Lord. Let's wait upon Him. Remain, the altar remains open if you wish to pray with someone. But otherwise, you can pray yourself also. Ask God. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Ask God for new strength. They that wait upon the Lord shall rise up as on wings of eagle and look down at our situation from a new perspective. They that wait upon the Lord shall walk and not faint. will be able to press on. Press on. As God is our help. So let me just bless you and pray this closing prayer. God, we wait upon you. We know where to go to in times of trouble. We know that you watch over us as a father, as a mother watches over their children. And we so we turn our eyes towards you from whence our help comes. Lord, would you renew our strength? Lord, would you give us new perspective? on life and on the current state of our lives whether we be struggling through a time of disappointment or even if we are on a high it is your grace give us help us to walk and not faint to press on in our journey of faith to press on to honour you in all that we do even to love our enemies give us perseverance to walk the life of a disciple of Jesus Christ enable us Lord help us this we pray in Jesus name Amen
Father, we thank you for your great love for us. And God, I pray that today 
the Father, such an overwhelming sense of your love will just fill every heart here. And God, I pray that God, even as we wait upon the Lord, as we wait upon you, God, I pray you will renew our strength. The Father, you remind us that you crown us with your love and compassion. That Father, your love is unfailing. That your love is sufficient. Your grace is sufficient for us. And so God, I pray for everyone here today. That God, you show us, you reveal to us the depth of your love, the depth of your strength. And how, God, when we hold on to you, when we wait upon you, and when we cling to you, that, God, our strength is renewed. That, Father, in you we find all that we need, all the grace and love and compassion and mercy that we need, the forgiveness, the wisdom, the direction that we need. So, Father, would you just open up our, heart, our eyes? And give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know the great hope we have in you and the glorious inheritance we have in your name. So bless us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. The service is over. We'll see you next week. God bless you.